Hey, this is Leading Edge. We're certainly glad you're along with us today. A lawsuit is brewing over school funding in Ohio. And I know on one hand you're saying, yeah, well, what else is new? Uh, you're, you're thinking that Ohio's school funding formula has been declared unconstitutional, which certainly it has been. Ohio lawmakers set out to, they say, fix that, but in their most recent Ohio budget put massive money into the state's school voucher program, which directs public taxes toward private schools. Enter this gentleman, my first guest right here, Bill Phyllis, the executive director of the Ohio Coalition for Equity and Adequacy of School Funding down in Columbus. They're part of the effort to challenge the voucher system. It's also the group that, yes, spearheaded those earlier and successful efforts that saw Ohio's school funding formula declared unconstitutional. Mr. Phyllis, uh, welcome. I've been reading about you on my newscast for, I don't know, 30 years. It's like we finally get to chat. This is, this is nice. Um, thank, you. thank you so much. Hasn't the Ohio Supreme Court already settled the issue of using public funds for private schools, having ruled uh, earlier that Ohio lawmakers could do that? Well, there was a federal case, um, uh, a case that involved the Cleveland Scholarship Program, uh, where the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that um, the Cleveland program was um, uh, constitutional. Now, uh, the problem there, however, was that this was a very narrow case. It involved, and the state argued uh, in, in defense, that they had to find a way to get these poor children out of a, quote, failing, unquote, district. Um, and so it was a very narrow, a narrow case and it left the door open uh, for future litigation. Now, our, our case is going to be filed in the, the state court system. Okay. Different case altogether. All right. How many school districts are involved in the lawsuit? Well, uh, we started this about 18 months ago. I, we were asked by a group of board members to uh, help coordinate this effort. And, and uh, the first year we had uh, 74 districts that paid into the, the voucher litigation. Now the coalition had an additional 140 or so districts that were involved in our, in our uh, other efforts. Um, thus far this year, we have about, um, uh, 60 districts that have, have signed up thus far this fiscal year, which began in July 1. Uh, but in terms of both fiscal years, and, and of course we're, we're a growing coalition, but in terms of both uh, years, we've had more than 80 districts sign up um, in, in terms of passing a resolution to join the effort. Uh, Bill Phyllis, he's executive director of the Ohio Coalition for Equity and Adequacy of School Funding. Um, Let's do this. Your contention is, at the end of the day, that the voucher funding comes at the expense of public education? Um, not only that, not only uh, it comes at the expense of public education, but it, it has to do with legislative priorities. The, the Constitution is very clear. The General Assembly shall secure a thorough and efficient system of public common schools. Now that's a, th a thorough and efficient system with tax money. So the, the legislature's responsibility is a thorough and efficient system of common schools. Now, um, in, the, in the past few years, uh, the legislature has been putting a priority on alternatives, a priority on vouchers, a priority on charters. 
And in this budget uh, that was recently passed, uh, there's a very definite priority on choice programs as opposed to the constitutional responsibility that the legislature has to fund a thorough and efficient system of common schools, a school system for everyone, rather than a choice program where uh, parents, uh, you know, with tax money can uh, get their tuition paid. Well, fellas, one thing the budget did, I think, as I read it, was to take the onus of paying for vouchers off the backs of local school districts who were, you talk about the double whammy, first they're losing the kids and then they got to pay for their departure, right? If kids take a voucher elsewhere. Wasn't that at least a step in the right direction? Well, it, it, really, it, it was. It, I mean, mechanically, maybe we can say it was a step in the right direction. But uh, the end result is the same, whether they take it out at the state level or at the local level, it, it has the same effect. Because you see, uh, the General Assembly only will appropriate X dollars for public education. And, and whether, whether, regardless of whether it's taken out at the local level or the, the state level, uh, the, the pool of money is the same. Yeah, I got you. They're, they're, they're funding, they're, now they're funding um, vouchers and charter schools out of the same pool of money that was historically set aside for school districts. For public education. Um, right. uh, let me da- bounce this one. I know, you, I know you've heard it, but I know some of my viewers are, gonna, are, are asking it in their heads. I'll ask. Parents who want to send their kids to private schools still do pay taxes, like the property tax, and property taxes go a long way toward funding our public education. I mean, couldn't they argue that they're being shortchanged? absent a voucher program to help them. In other words, they're paying taxes, supporting their local schools, and they're also out of their pocket paying tuition or whatever to go to uh, the uh, private schools. Well, that, that argument falls on its own weight. Uh, we pay taxes for uh, safety uh, programs. We pay taxes for fire department. We pay taxes for all kinds of public services. Now, I, I cannot argue that um, I should get a voucher for fire protection uh, and go on my own, or I uh, should get a a voucher for our recreation department from the recreation department to go to a country club because I choose to go to a country club. I gotcha, yeah. You know, that's a really, uh, that argument doesn't really carry any weight. Let's do this one. School choice advocates, and I'm thinking Matt Huffman here, state Senate president, Uh, you know him. says that Ohio has pumped more money, even adjusted for inflation into public schools, up some 50%, he says, in 25 years, even when public school enrollment has declined. Um, And he would say that that's anything but shortchanging public education. Well, uh, you know, uh, we we have to to, to, um, illuminate that uh, uh, narrative. We have to understand about inflation, we have to understand about the increased uh, duties, uh, responsibilities that schools have taken on yeah. in the last uh, several years. Um, we, we also need to put it in the short term. Um, you know, the, uh, vou- uh, the state budget this time around increased the voucher program from, at the high school level from uh, $6,000 to $7,500. Yeah. Well, that's a 25% increase. Now, and, that, and that's in just in one fell swoop, one year. Now, 
since 19, or I'm sorry, since 2018, um, the um, uh, per pupil foundation level for public school districts has gone up only a few dollars. Mm. In, nine, or in 2018, the uh, foundation level, that is the combination of state and local money that's available, guaranteed to each, each student, uh, back in 2018, it was 6,000. Now, uh, for 2023 uh, fiscal year, uh, that's two years out. Yeah. Uh, the uh, amount is just uh, over sixty-one hundred dollars. Now you know a twenty-five percent increase in vouchers. Yeah, yeah. Dollars increase in the foundation level. Now you know the state's giving uh, people seventy-five hundred dollars for high school vouchers, but the average state amount to the school districts is in the range of four thousand dollars. So. You know, the, the state has been putting a priority on these uh, alternatives uh, to the detriment of the school districts. Now, the, the, the ultimate goal of voucher advocates is a voucher for every, every student. You mentioned uh, Senator Huffman, the president of the Senate. Back in 2010, he sponsored a bill, House Bill 136. I remember it well. House Bill 136. Uh, would have given a voucher to 60% of Ohio's families. Now, uh, House Bill um, 290 of the current General Assembly yep. uh, was a bill that, uh, or is a bill, is still is still there pending, uh, that, that would uh, provide essentially uh, a voucher to every kid. At least that's the intent of the bill, a what? voucher to every, every kid. At the end of the day, the lawsuit, which you say will be filed soon, and your law firm out of Cleveland is telling you it's coming, it'll be coming soon. What does, end of the day, lawsuit seek to do? It seeks to declare the Ed Choice Voucher Program unconstitutional. Wipe it out. Blow it up. Make it go away. Blow it up. Take it away. Now, um, many people say, well, that, that decision's already been made. Uh, the voucher has been uh, declared uh, legal, constitutional, but that was at the federal level, not yeah. the state level. Um, and, and that was uh, the first decision had to do with a few kids in Cleveland that were allowed to go leave Cleveland at Cleveland's expense to go to primarily a, a religious uh, school system. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, right now, this is a refund rebate program. All right. We will watch the lawsuit. It's coming soon. He is Bill Phyllis, executive director of the Ohio Coalition for Equity and Adequacy of School Funding. Uh, I want to thank you for being our guest and for keeping us on the leading edge of efforts to, to find the right and fair way to fund public education, and also to address concerns that Ohio lawmakers have public education, it seems to a lot of us, in their crosshairs. Bill Phyllis, nice to meet you. Thanks for spending time with us. And I'll be right back on Leading Edge. Hey, good weekend to you. Welcome to Leading Edge. I'm Jerry Anderson. Ahead, the man who fought and won his court battle, contending that the way the state of Ohio funds public education is unconstitutional, he is back. And he is still fighting for public education. His target this time is school vouchers, Ohio's Ed Choice program. And he tells us why that's ahead of us. But up first, is this it? 
Did we finally get a breakthrough this week that could lead to cleaning up the western basin of Lake Erie, our end of the lake, the home to huge annual algal blooms, which years ago actually forced hundreds of thousands of Toledo water customers to turn off the faucet. The water wasn't fit to drink. In Cleveland, an agreement was reached involving the U.S. EPA, which could force the hand of agencies who, so far, frankly, have done little of substance to remedy the lake's algal bloom problem. Now, folks, they only did so after they had been sued by the Environmental Law and Policy Center on behalf of advocates of uh, Clean Lake Erie, and yes, the Lucas County Commissioners. Uh, joining me, uh, is a uh, gentleman. Did you found the advocates for Clean Lake Erie, Mike Ferner? Yes, yeah, we did. Myself and a couple other people, yeah. Yeah, and so this is, you were out first in front of everybody, and, and now you're going, by the way, just Lake Erie advocates, right? Nice and right. clean. <laughs> okay. Right. Is, is this a win? Well, yes, it is. Um, the question of how big a win it is uh, really remains to be seen, but uh, the uh, state agencies, Ohio EPA and the US EPA, um, can no longer just refuse uh, to follow the law. Uh, you probably know that uh, three or four years ago now, we filed a lawsuit in federal court to uh, try to force uh, those two agencies to comply with the Clean Water Act because they just were not doing what they were supposed to do. And uh, so it's taken this long uh, since July of 2017 wow. to finally get them to agree that they're going to follow the law. All right, let's talk about what we have agreed to, because we don't have a final agreement yet, folks. We seem to have an agreement saying that, hey, guess what, folks, we will have an agreement no later than October, I think, 29th. But the two sides have agreed to something called a, quote, consent decree, which, Mike Ferner, that would have the force of law and which would do what? Uh, it will have the force of law. Uh, October 29th is the deadline that's been set for both sides to agree to the exact wording of what we discussed in Cleveland on Monday. So after October 29th, uh, within uh, just a few days, uh, it will be published in the Federal Register for a comment period, which I believe is 30 days. Uh, and then uh, assuming nothing goes dramatically haywire, uh, it will go back to Judge Carr for his signature and it will have the force of law. So. Let's talk about this. Lake advocates have long pushed for something called, you know this well, TMDL, a total maximum daily load. As I understand this, Mike Ferner, a quantifiable measurable limit on things like, yeah, phosphorus being put into the watershed and ultimately into Lake Erie feeding the algae. So this would be the largest TMDL in the country. Is that a correct statement? Well, the one for Chesapeake Bay was larger, but this would be the largest one going on now. Yes. Okay. And we think that is important because it is, it, as I said, it will be quantifiable. It will be measurable. And somebody will be able to stand up and say, hey, somebody's not playing by the rules here. Correct. Correct. And uh, 
the, the way that you stand up and say somebody isn't playing by the rules, um, unfortunately, uh, requires filing a lawsuit. Now, we can do that informally, and our group is going to be uh, following this process very closely. And if the rules aren't being followed, we can say something, but really when it comes down to, to cases, uh, we need we would need to go into court to file a lawsuit against the EPA, but we hope that it doesn't get to that point. Now we know this TMDL, Total Maximum Daily Load Approach, was used in, as you point out correctly, cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay. Does this now, and would this, my friend, involve identifying polluters, and does it come with some enforceable mandates? Yes. Uh, what's going to happen is the Ohio EPA will uh, do uh, total maximum daily loads. They'll establish this for the whole uh, watershed, um, the Maumee watershed in uh, Northwest Ohio. And what that means is that they will be determining the sources and the amounts of pollution and setting limits for how much uh, pollution, uh, in this case, mostly phosphorus and nitrogen can go into uh, the waters, creeks and ditches. Um, now they'll have to do this by a certain date that has been agreed to in the preliminary agreement, which we will be able to talk about publicly uh, when that's released. And then the US EPA has got six months. Uh, they said they would try to do it quicker, but uh, after those uh, TMDLs are published by the Ohio EPA, the US EPA has six months to say whether those are sufficient or they're not. So uh, in, during the hearing, um, we tried to uh, speed up the timetable as much as we could, uh, and, and I guess we, we got it a little faster than it would have been otherwise, but the, it's still going to be a while before the Ohio EPA establishes the TMDLs, and then we've got the, the uh, approval period for the US EPA. Uh, he's Mike Ferner. We're going to take a break. This is Leading Edge. Much more. I think this is important stuff. I know we're all getting impatient, but I think we have a breakthrough. We're going to talk about this more when we come back on Leading Edge. We're back on Leading Edge. I'm Jerry Anderson. He is Mike Ferner, uh, Lake Erie advocates who um, got a, hmm, I think, close to a win this week with word out of Cleveland that the U.S. EPA has agreed with the other parties to push forward with actually trying to clean up the western basin of Lake Erie. Imagine, folks, this could actually happen. Um, with this agreement, should the state of Ohio, because we now, I think, have some writing on the wall, Mike Ferner, should the state of Ohio put a halt to okaying more high-density animal operations, be they cows, pigs, chickens, whatever, or is that unfair to ag? Should the ag industry have a chance to show that, hey, we can live within whatever the upcoming plan calls for? The, the Ohio Department of Agriculture should definitely call a halt to permitting any more new facilities or expanding existing ones. And, and let me tell you, since our water crisis in 2014, the Department of Agriculture for Ohio has permitted 50 new and expanded CAFOs that have 200,000 pigs and cows and 3 million chickens. Now that does not count hundreds of the one-unders where uh, operators will build a facility just under the number 
required to get a permit. So 50 new and expanded ones since our water crisis. And it's clear the Howe Department of Agriculture has got no interest in uh, slowing the problem down. So yeah, you're right. Uh, they should definitely have a moratorium on those uh, until we can figure out what's going to actually start cleaning up the lake. But back uh, when you first decided to take on Uncle Sam, I mean the feds, the US EPA, did you think you'd get to this point? And how does it feel now that you have? Well, we figured we'd get to this point eventually. Uh, I didn't think it would take this long. Um, and it's, it, I got to say, it does. It feels good. It's, it's not the, the be all and end all. But let me tell you, when you walk into the courtroom, like we did in Cleveland, and there's over a dozen people on the other side from the US EPA, the Department of Justice, the Ohio EPA, the Ohio Attorney General, all these people that we're paying to protect our lake, and we have to go into court and force them to do their job. And they're trying to, this whole hearing, they're trying to do as little as possible and take as long as they can. So yeah, it's, it's a victory, but man, it shouldn't be so tough. All right, we're gonna leave it right there. He is Mike Ferner. I wanna thank you for keeping us on the leading edge of your ongoing battle to, to get a solution to this uh, problem that ails us out there in Lake Erie and has for a number of years. Be well, sir. Thank you. Jim. When I come back, taking on Ohio's Ed Choice Voucher Program. Who's doing that and why? When we come back.